Today on Panelism, we're taking a trip back into Grant Morrison's multiversity. Welcome to Panelism, the podcast where we talk about the comics and graphic novels worth having on your shelf. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. Good day, sir. Good day to you. How are things in southern, sunny Southern California? Well, it's not sunny. We've got the June gloom going on right now, so it's been a little overcast all day. Um, I'll tell you what, it has been, it has barely been over 70 any day for the last month and a half. And when I hear that summer has already come to the East Coast and the South, I'm so thankful. Yeah. Because it's just been so pleasant to go Uh, outside in jeans. Same here. It has been unusually cool in May. We had some late snow, like the latest snow Colorado's had in a long time. And then it's just, it had been sort of unseasonably cool. And now June feels more like May would. And it's just fantastic. I'm like, this is like what, this is like living in the Pacific Northwest. I love it. God, it's already in the 90s in Nashville. I don't um, even want to think about that. The I, only, I left there yeah. for that exact reason, so I didn't have to think about it or be confronted with it anymore. Yes. Um, yeah. I am so excited about uh, the show today that, uh, once again, I, I can barely chit-chat with you because I'm I'm ch- champing at the bit to, yes. to talk it about be- it. It's going to be jam-packed. We're doing something a little unusual. Um, In episode, I believe, 57 or 58, I forget which. I will confirm that. Well, um, back when we used to do dual book reviews, Todd would do a book, I would do a book. The episodes were a little long, um, so we decided to make each episode more single book focused. And I think that's proven to be a great model or formula for how we do the show. Back in the day, we did two books. And uh, I think Todd did Grey Hulk, and I did a book called The Multiversity, written and sort of conceived by Grant Morrison and the art by a large cast of creative people that we'll potentially talk about. So I've talked about this book already, and recently it's become clear to me that I need to revisit it, both as a fan and a reader, but also on this show. I think in that particular episode, I touched on some interesting points and did largely a a more top-level review um, because I think at that point, too, we were more concerned with readers who hadn't read the books yet. And I want to really delve in a little further and uh, talk about more, a lot more. There's there's a lot more I picked up since my last read through it and really treat this as as a discussion episode for people who are familiar with the book or who haven't read it but don't care and maybe want to use this as an extended <laughs> sales pitch so that's fine too uh, but i really I, I think this is we're just going to title this multiversity revisited yeah um uh for that purpose well i i'm excited about it because uh in the old two books per episode format um we you know sometimes had read the same book but rarely yeah. had we both prepared for what the other one was doing and now when we often tape two episodes on the same day while we may know what the other one is talking about and have done some sort of you know surface level research on it often we don't know we don't know that much but i have not read the full multiversity but i had read a couple of issues when it came out 
Um, you talked about it. And then when you told me you're doing this book, I checked on Comixology Unlimited and they have this amazing omnibus that is like mm -hmm. the box set DVD kind of, you know, extended editions with so many extras and stuff. And so you gave me an assignment um, of issues to read from this omnibus and I did that. So I feel like I'm going in pretty well prepared, which is a, a great feeling. Now, when you say omnibus, you mean the multiversity, the deluxe edition, correct? I believe so. They called, yeah, they called an omnibus on, um, on uh, Comixology, and I assume that's because it's not really like a trade paperback or whatever mm -hmm. they call those. You know, they oh, collected editions is usually what they call yeah, those things, and yeah. this one's like got so many extras. I guess this is literally everything they put out for the series, so it's not, yes. yeah, it's not a collected edition like Volume One. It's everything. Correct. And I had uh, previously when I talked about it, I owned that version as the physical uh, uh, hardcover book. So that is definitely the one you want to get because it's um, it just you want the whole the whole sort of vision in one sitting. Um, I had the physical version. One of the reasons that we're revisiting this book is because I recently consumed it um, totally via Comixology. I don't know if this is still going on. If you're listening, this may have passed, but uh, last week, Comixology did have the digital version for just five bucks. I don't know why. Um, now it looks like it's back up to 20 for the Kindle price. So mm. keep an eye on it. But I, I did, I grabbed it for five bucks, um, which is great because I did already own the hardcover and it allowed me to go through it again. Uh, I was on a little road trip vacation and and started going through some, some key issues that I liked, but ended up rereading the entire thing because... Uh, the guided page view in Comixology really lends itself nicely to this story. There were a lot of things that I didn't notice the first time around. Um, more, most importantly, the the character voices really jumped out at me this time around. I I really I heard specific voices for different characters very very deliberately where I didn't before. So that was a really cool thing to see. So I don't, I frankly don't remember what my recommendation was last time. We usually, usually speak about or, or recommend either physical or digital. Mm. Uh, I would say both are very valid ways to consume this book. And I would encourage people to do both because there is, as you're going to hear, there's a lot more subtext and a lot more context you're going to get out of this a second, third, fourth time through. So mix up the way you consume it. It will, I think, maybe lend hmm. itself more to that. Well, I, Ed, that's good to hear, especially with this new perspective of me having read particular issues that you assigned because it's it definitely doesn't, the digital format does not lend itself to jumping to a particular issue. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I wholeheartedly agree with you on the guided view. Mm -hmm. And and, and had a very similar experience, you know? Um, so I would, I, I guess I gotta, I guess I gotta back, back you up there. It's like, if you, if you love it, then, um, uh, it might be worth owning in both formats because yeah. you can sort of enjoy the story front to back in digital with that guided view, like cinematic approach, mm -hmm. or you can just sort of pick and choose throughout the book, like what you want, but it is, I mean, it is dense and it is long. So yeah. Yeah. sitting down to read it for the first time, fully all the way through digitally might not be optimal. <laughs> yeah. And just some background on the book, um, in case you're not aware, this was originally, um, oh shoot, I think seven or eight individual issues. I believe it was eight that came out over the course of a period of time. They're all part of this multiversity series. All of them, except for one is a issue one of an elsewhere, like an elseworlds kind of, um, 
kind of uh, of series. So you've got different different uh, versions of Superman or or the origins of Superman or different versions of um, Doctor Fate, and these are all issue ones. The only one that isn't is the ending issue, which bookends the first issue, um, which kind of sets up the 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 master narrative or the master arc um, and introduces the concept of the multiversity. It has a, a start and an, and an ending. Um, and Morrison has mentioned uh, he may go back to some of these and do uh, you know a continuation on them. The Minutemen or not Minutemen, the um, the Mastermen one I think is is top of his mind to do that. The the one where uh, the Nazis raised Superman. He's thinking about going back to that one too. <laughs> so Grant Morrison, writer, showrunner, various artists, published by DC. I want to state up front, we are going to spoil the hell out of this. So if you haven't read it and this is concerning to you, maybe go back and listen to episode 57 or 58. 57. Uh, 57, thank you. Episode 57 where I first talk about this book. But we're going to treat this more like uh, reviewing an episode of a TV show we've all seen or or like this is our book club. And you know everybody has read this. If you haven't, go read it. Let's discuss it. I'm going to get into the weeds pretty deep uh, on a lot of interesting points. Yeah, unlike our other episodes that are, you know, like a review to to give you a recommendation of something interesting to put on your shelf, this is one where you've got you've got some issues. <laughs> not yeah. in not in a negative sense. You've just you you shared with me a uh, a, a thick veiny document full of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is a uh, uh, yeah. So. Let's talk about why. I mean, I've mentioned a few reasons why we revisit, why you should revisit this particular book. I think the best comics, the best graphic novels deserve a revisit. Um, they oftentimes can change over time. Different contexts in the, the world we're living in can shape how you see a story. Your own growth as a person can shape how you see or perceive a story. The artists who make that that art. Uh, their lives and that their changes and ebbs and flows or controversies about them that might uh, uh, pop out and change your perception of that art. So it's definitely worth going back and re rereading some of these things. A couple, a couple similar books that jump out to me on that are uh, the Inkle, which by design is meant to be so deep and layered that you can just always get something from it. Uh, obviously my go-to of Watchmen. I think the, the recent vision uh, series that has that uh, ended the uh, Tom King series, and then you know Dark Knight Returns probably uh, Nightly News by Jonathan Hickman, which I've reviewed previously. That definitely warrants multiple multiple re- uh, readings. You get more every time you you pop your head in that. And so I think the Multiversity was surprising to me in that respect because I read it first and loved it, but didn't anticipate it sort of becoming one of these books that I can just keep going back to and getting new getting new context out of new new interesting points of view out of um i think when i first read it and reviewed it previously i had fallen in love with the story and the ambitious scope and now i think when i read it i'm still aware of those things but i i i'm now falling in love with the deep rabbit hole of the true art behind it the true all the subtext all the stuff that morrison put into it as pure artistic expression I'm I'm seeing it so much more clearly now than I did before, and it's and it's really driving my love of this series. Now, obviously, we're going to jump into that, but what is what's your your quick overview on on what you mean by the the true art of it? So, like the the more you know about Grant Morrison, it really does color how you look at any of his works. Um, do you think this was in in that way? Do you think this is sort of 
his own expression on superhero comics and the importance or non-importance of comics and things like that? Is that God, yes. sort of how yeah, you're coming it, at it? Okay. Yeah, it's all of that. I mean, it's it's so many different things, right? So you so on one on one hand, you've got his involvement in the DC multiverse timeline, um, going all the way back to his work with Mark Wade on the Kingdom and how they introduced Piper Time. Um, he's also the one that that uh, was involved in sort of shepherding Infinite Crises and other Elseworlds titles um, to their conclusion. So he's got a vested interest in how the multiverse is set up, how the New Fifty Two is set up, what its what its you know ambitions were were going to be. So you've got that, and and in a lot of titles, that's all you need, right? It's just hey, I'm sort of the the architect of this, or I've had a heavy hand in this. I want to express my version of that story. So you've got that. You've also got to your point, how he views superheroes. And, and that's a very multifaceted view. What he thinks about the, the importance of comic books and the grand cultural narrative, how he views comic books as an expression of free thinking and free expression and how, how you interpret that both as reader and creator. So you've got that. Then you've got this other crazy element of hit of grant morrison uh, grant morrison the chaos magician so well if you i know ahead. i don't want to divert you because i i uh, yeah i love these topics you've outlined <clears throat> i'm wondering if if there's a tiny like elevator pitch we could do on what this book actually is <laughs> yeah okay i'm gonna i'm just gonna read straight out of wikipedia that um, works. Uh, i'll just read because <laughs> it's it's so complex and multifaceted that I don't want to get too rambly. So yeah, I don't know that I have an elevator pitch for it. Straight <laughs> up, straight up, Wikipedia just says the multiversity is a limited series of interrelated one shots set in the DC multiverse in the New Fifty Two. All right, so that's just straight up one you know log line. That's that's what we're dealing with. Um, what it really is uh, is I'm just going to again read from right Wikipedia. The featured story arc is about the DC Comics multiverse being invaded by a race of cosmic parasites known as the Gentry. And it says the Gentry come from beyond the immediate DC local multiverse, and each member is a sort of a cultural archetype. We'll talk more about that later. So you've got this master arc of the DC universe multiverse being invaded, and then a group of heroes gather to try to solve that that master sort of overarching narrative problem meanwhile each of these one shots represents a slice of that um that invasion and each of these you know sort of universes or or you know different earths can look at the events of the other earths through their own comic books so you've got people in you know in one issue reading the previous issue you know that you as the reader were reading, they've got that actual issue in their universe and vice versa. And it doesn't always piggyback off directly the previous book you read. Um, there's one issue in particular called Ultra Comics, which is referenced in most of the books. Um, we're going to get into that later because there's, yeah, that's so, much, inspection. <laughs> there's so much packed into that that I don't even want so, to. So we'll come back to that. But so the whole thing is, is a wonderful way to have a lot of fun with Elsewhere's titles um and and do it all kind of in a a compilation but there's this overarching narrative so that's kind of in a nutshell what it is yeah uh, but it's i'm gonna not, get way more into the the, the nitty-gritty i think um 
all that's missing from that pitch is that the even though they are Elseworlds and there are some issues where you'll run into a Batman or a Superman, mm-hmm. it is this is not done like that original like 1980s Crisis on Infinite Earths where, God, no. Yeah, where no. all the Supermans look alike. Yeah. You know, but but maybe one of them has some gray hair or something. This is like they're totally you know, they are literally a Superman from a different dimension. You know, I'm obviously I'm thinking of the one that's um I, I, uh, the Barack yeah. Obama Superman. <laughs> is he also the president? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not Barack Obama, but he is a black president from yes. an earth that is also Kal-El. And right? Brainiac is like his personal AI assistant. Yes, it's like his Jarvis. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's wild like that. So it's not like you can pick it up like, oh, here's a, a what if story about Batman. It's It's like the most extreme what if ever. Like, with like a very deliberately different costume too yeah and so yeah yeah so many of these are you know maybe captain marvel slash shazam is probably the only only loyally recreated you're, you're gonna recognize that pretty quickly yeah. um but everything else and and the mainstream sort of versions of these heroes they're in it too but they are absolutely background characters you know you might right. get a glimpse of the real batman or the real superman or the real flash but they are literally one of you know hundreds of other versions of themselves are kind of just in the background waving um they're not really there to serve the story you know front and center yeah and for me having recently read uh crisis on infinite earth we talked about that in episode 99 earlier this year um it's crisis on this this like i can see i can see morrison pitching this as let me rewrite crisis, but from the point of view of all those characters you put in the background. Yeah. Because crisis yeah. only revolves around like the justice league. And then these I sort love of, that way of thinking about random it. new, you know, two or three characters that are, you know, like they've never been in anything before. So, you know, Oh, well you're, you're pivotal to this. Yeah. Every <laughs> and then character, just a bunch of background heroes, you know, every character you meet is somebody that you don't really have a primary relationship with via other right. comics. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's really cool to see these archetypes, but they are not what you expect. I mean, that was very intentional and I love it. That was what attracted me to this kind of in the first place was, Ooh, I get to see these sort of bog standard uh, tropes and characters, but through a completely different prism. Um, in much the same way too that uh, Watchmen dissected that and gave you sort of versions of these characters. In, in, in some ways, that's kind of interesting because Watchmen was originally going to be the Charlton Comics characters, yeah. and instead got you sort of a, um, a counterpart version of each of those, and and allow them to really go even further. So this is kind of like that, it, although it's still mainstream continuity. It definitely feels like Morrison's Watchmen. Yeah, but yeah. And I'll tell you the downside to that is when I did pick up these separate issues, which were labeled as sort of like one shots that related to a, you know, multiversity. <clears throat> I thought there were, it was typical, like big event books, you know, they're all going to tie in and I didn't know what the fuck to make of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we talked about that, I think in episode number 57 as well, yeah. that like this has to be approached as a whole piece, yeah. you know? Yeah. And part, it was such a weird packaging to actually put them out as single you know, like floppy single issues because they really just did not make any sense. It, it, it absolutely is a meant to be a graphic novel. Although there's some novelty in having the single issues because you do sort of get to treat them as uh, artifacts from the book that you get to hold yourself. Yes. 
you're, which you're, is kind of cool. It turns into, and yeah, I would say buying or, or like looking at single issues on Comixology, useless. Yeah, but yeah. if you had those artifacts, you are like, that is one of the wonderful, like, statements of art which you're just now making me think of which is like you are the viewer in one universe reading the true history of another universe through that book and because they actually put them out as separate like single issues you could have all of them and feel like oh i'm in this world now reading that world's history you know Mm -hmm. um yeah it's very uh, griffin and sabine kind of uh tactile art you know Absolutely. Great, great reference. Um, <laughs> I knew you would get it. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, you know, that's, uh, yeah, you're, you're viewing and uh, you're, you're reading an epistolary novel, right? <laughs> yep. 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 Exactly. Exactly. So let's get back to Morrison real quick. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It all starts with him um, as truly, it, it, you know, he's one of our top creators in the field. He is as prolific and as interesting as Alan Moore, as Jodorowsky, as any of these these just heavy hitter creative guys that can do something at this depth and breadth. Um, interestingly, like Alan Moore, Graham Morrison is a Alan Moore's not a chaos magician, but um, they're both into what they define personally as magic. And I'm I'm sort of intrigued by this because it seems like this might be a a sort of tradition in comics amongst a lot of these creators of, of sort of embracing these metaphysical you know, pseudo spiritual sorts of uh, sorts of uh, practices to either enhance their own creative art or just to use it as a thought experiment in a lot of ways. So chaos magic, I, I need to, I need to go through this because it does impact how I view a lot of, uh, of the parts of the book now. If you've ever listened to, there's a favorite podcast of Todd and I's called The Last Podcast on the Left. We are very big fans. And one of the uh, members of that show, Henry Zabrowski, often refers to chaos magic or, magic or references it. Um, so if you're really interested in it, listen to that show and you probably can pick up a lot. I don't want to get into it too far, but just the the basic tenets of it. I'm not a practitioner, just for the record. I've just I've studied it a bit and just kind of looked into it based on a lot of these people getting into it too. Uh, but the basic aspect of it is, is it's built around an experimental, highly DIY approach that involves stripping all magical techniques down to their barest essence, um, getting rid of all the theatrics, getting rid of all the you know the incantations and all this stuff. And just thinking about magic is almost like pure thought to manifest what you want. Um, use of intentionality. <laughs> you know what? You're not wrong. That's the... The secret is is a weird sort of commercialized form of chaos magic. Absolutely. <laughs> um, where Grant Morrison gets into it, and I'm basing this on a lot of interviews he's he's given over the years and that I've consumed and other things he's written. Um, but Grant Morrison really does embrace the sort of DIY intentionality of it. And he also uses sigils and what is called cut-up technique uh, a lot too. Cut-up technique, strangely, all this is on Wikipedia, by the way, in case you want a, a beginner's sort of intro to all this um cut up technique involves taking things and it, originally it was text you know cutting it up and rearranging it to create new text but that also can be applied to any sort of remix culture um taking things as established mediums remixing them rearranging them uh to either new inspiring effect or to an intentionally change the nature of a story or change the nature of a, a nation nature of a thing um Strangely, David Bowie was also sort of into this aspect of chaos magic. Uh, 
Jodorowsky to some extent to the use of tarot uh, and tarot cards is kind of in this tradition. So taking Grant Morrison and Grant Morrison is one of his classic stories is he summoned the spirit or the ghost or the, the essence of John Lennon um, and actually wrote a John, you know, a John Lennon inspired song that sounds pretty, pretty close. And he did this by just sitting in a circle of surrounded by John Lennon albums and listening to the Beatles and just thinking on and taking on the essence of John Lennon. And um, he claims to have seen sort of a, a John Lennon like face materialize in front of him. Got you know, very wooey. Um, but <laughs> if, if, if you, if you take him at face value, that's very interesting. And he's also famously known for using his series, the invisibles as an actual chaos, magical act, meaning he wrote himself into the invisibles, um, as a character, uh, and, and things that started happening to that character in the invisibles started happening to Grant Morrison in real life because he was so intentionally manifested into the work of the invisibles it's very it's kind of spooky and especially if you read the invisibles knowing this really changes your your lens on it knowing that this was intentionally set up as a chaos magic sort of experiment for himself so knowing all of that really colors some of what i read in the multiversity um specifically things like um the ultra comics issue uh, like the um, Pax Americana, uh, or sorry, Pax is it Pax Americana or Pax Romana? Pax Americana. Americana. Um, yeah. Uh, sort of Charlton Watchman mashup that he does. A lot of chaos magic sort of ideas fall into this. This is not to say that this is like some kind of spooky devil worshiping cult thing. Not at all. Think of chaos magic more as like a, a, a pseudo psychology or a pseudo science to that to that extent. Um, not a religion, not, not some kind of weird occult thing, just Grant Morrison thinking about the world through these, these lenses. Well, and it, it almost makes more sense um, because I wasn't thinking of any of that at all when I read it, but um, there's definitely like a <clears throat> sort of the, the, you know, the, the big bad guys, or at least the big threat that comes into the multiversity is demonic in nature. Yeah. Yeah. And so even while like magic um, and demons aren't talked about in like a religious or occult way. Uh, it it honestly sort of made a little bit more sense for the setting than um, the ordinary superhero sort of cosmos gobbledygook. Like Ooh, I mean, like yeah. Crisis on Infinite Earths is a perfect example of like it's it's all just this sort of hand wavy. Like oh, the anti monitor has just done this thing that you know, has imperiled everyone. Well, how, like what, yeah, what happened? Yeah. You know, I'd almost rather it be like, well, these demons of chaos have erupted in between the universes and everything's colliding. And yeah, well, that's a great point. So, so this isn't dark side invading. This isn't some evil presence or, or, or yeah, enemy. Not that Thanos. You know. Yeah. Yeah. This is literally the, um, sort of personification of, archetypes that have plagued humanity for a long time. I'm going to, the, the incursion into the multiverse is, is by this group called the gentry. Um, and I'm just going to read you a quick sort of summation of what they are, because that kind of highlights this point very, very nicely. It says the gentry were drawn to the multiverse by the emanations of ruined dreams and negative ideas. So they were attracted to our multiverse by those things. They want to seize ownership of every single mind in existence and in doing so, control all thoughts and stories. To this end, they use Ultra Comics number one, 
as a vector to infect the multiverse, and they simultaneously launch an attack on every Earth and uh, in the or area, sorry, or area of worlds. Um, it also says, and just, I'm going to kind of give you a, a sense of this. Um, each member of the gentry sort of exists as a different um, amalgamation of these bad ideas or these these things. So there's one called one of the the gentry is called Demogorgon. He's the mindless sprawling horde. Another character is called Hell Machine, which is meant to represent unchecked, uncontrollable technology. Um, Dame Merciless is the ultimate extreme of the femme fatale, and then the other member, Lord Broken, is insanity and despair. So these are really sort of the the archetypes of all these classic mythological ideas. That's what's that's what the big bad is of this whole thing. So it's it's almost more startling. It kind of sucks you in a little more knowing that there's this completely new idea of what could plague the DC multiverse. But it also brings in the subtext of thought control, both literally um, in the story, but also to, you know, in the comics medium in general. Going back to things like um, banning certain books and censoring books and just this idea of the history of comics representing free thought and free expression and the industry or the public or the government trying to limit that in some ways. The, the gentry are kind of representing that too. So there's just all these wonderful, these, uh, wonderful um, layers that you can read into this now knowing that Grant Morrison was interested in these ideas but also the historical context of these ideas – Again, it goes back to the art of it. Really, sort of creeps up on you after you've after you've gotten through it a few times. Um, a couple other things, real quick, uh, you know, to the uh, to the art. There's also Grant Morrison has mentioned a few times he likes the idea of the flash lightning bolt symbol, really representing a lot of things. If you think about um, Greek mythology or Hindu mythology. The lightning bolt or lightning was the primary weapon of the head god. In the case of Greek mythology, it was Zeus or Indra in Hindu. Um, so and, and, and Nor- Norse as well. Oh, of so, course, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, and, and plenty of other examples. So that lightning bolt symbol has been important to to Grant Morrison a lot in a lot of different stories. In the case of this, the Flash character, regardless of what Earth or what universe he's from or she's from. Um, it tends to be the one that has either crucial information about the problem that they're solving or actually literally helps them, you know, deal the final blow or, 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 mm-hmm. you know, solve the problem. So the flash plays a huge role in throughout the multiversity. I, I wonder if it, it doesn't tie back into that idea of the lightning bolt having that importance. Um, another thing that's really interesting about this is the use of music and the use of musical harmonics. So, uh, the main character of Nix Woten, the uh, the monitor, the last living monitor, who's sort of our initial avatar into this world, the, you know, the first character we're really introduced to and the last character we say goodbye to, he has this ship, this um, – I cannot remember how to pronounce it, but this – <laughs> The fuel or whatever it is. Um, this, this spaceship that can travel between universes, but it's made of music. It's made of harmonics, and they actually strike different chords to travel through different universes. Yeah. Um, strangely enough, the, the 1988 Masters of the Universe movie also plays with this idea. If you remember the character Ooh. of Quildor, uh, he had the cosmic key. That's kind of the MacGuffin of the whole thing. Skeletor wanted the cosmic key and they tried to save it. But the cosmic key traveled to different dimensions via harmonics. Um, mm. So this is kind of a, a more of a, a, a broader idea and culture that music can transport us to different different 
levels of perception, different you know different places. So well, and oh, go ahead. Not the yeah, not to throw you off track, but I I think those two ideas are really connected. Like you went right from the flash into that um, the musical idea, and I, I think there's one moment where uh, flash who you know the flash character notice i think i think he notices like oh that's weird this earth vibrates differently than the yeah. other one. yeah and it's it's like a totally true thing you know music is a physical vibration it's not like this magical thing you know yeah. so of course the flash would be tuned into it because mm-hmm. uh he or she or they is always tied into that vibration you know so yeah. yeah i really liked how that was how that related there it wasn't it wasn't another new power that you know, Nick Swotan has, and we've can't conceive of it, you know, yeah, he just harnesses, harnesses right. what we already know. And they really make a, a point to talk about each world or each multiverse vi- or each universe vibrating on a different frequency. Yeah. Um, as you said, the flash met, you makes mention that too. The other way music works its way into the stories, um, sometimes subtly in different issues, but very intentionally in Pax Americana, which is, their sort of tribute to the Watchmen using the actual Charlton char- characters. So it's kind of a cool meta meta commentary. Um, but uh, Frank quietly, who illustrated that particular issue with Grant Morrison mentions, they intentionally use the structure of music to beat out and tell that story in much the same way that Alan Moore and Gibbons used time and clocks to tell the original Watchmen story. So here in Pax Americana, it was music um, but has a lot of similarities to the Watchmen because music and time are, are very interrelated too, but it's just cool to see them take that angle and use it for that same purpose. So music very much a part of the multiversity structure and flow um, as even as it kind of comes to an ending and, and crescendos to its, it's kind of final confrontation, final climax music is very much a part of it all. Uh, as it goes through. So I love that artistic side of it too. Grant Morrison, very into music and just seeing that really play out through the book. So I've really fallen in love. Like I said, came for the story and the scope, but I'm, I'm sticking around. And I, think, <laughs> I think the book is, is really truly on my shelf for all of these wonderful artistic reasons that all this wonderful artistic, artistic subtext. Well, and then talking about the literal art of it, um, like the drawn art, I mean, you, you brought up quietly and that's, it, there is such a distinct look to every book. Mm-hmm. Um, except like, I would say maybe like three of those that you told me to read because those are the, those are the ones that are like really connected to the, you know, sort of er story that we're following. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they are illustrated to look alike but yeah everything in between has this like very distinct style and it's it's all very dc comics like mainstream style but it's unique because i'm flipping through on the comiXology you know where you can view all the pages at once and i could immediately spot the frank quietly art like there yep. it is yep. absolutely <laughs> you know 100 <clears throat> percent. and then even like the the uh the uh oh shoot the nazi one i always forget the title Ma- of it masterman masterman uh illustrated by a lot of the same uh, group who does the um uh, Injustice uh, comic series. So I immediately sort of, I, I love that series and sort of really uh, took that on. Um, the the Shazam or the Captain Marvel family stuff is very, yeah. uh, very kid-friendly. Yeah. yeah, very Shazammy. So yeah, the stylistic approach to each of these stories, absolutely appropriate, I think, for each of the, each of the individual issues. Yeah. And then for the uh, two bookends as well. Let's talk about alternate realities, though, because the other thing outside of just really a higher appreciation for the art is this deeper examination 
<coughs> of alternate realities through the context of the story. So you think about what we do. We live in the third dimension, you know, three-dimensional objects. We can touch them. We can see them. We can interact with them. Comics exist in two dimensions. So we look at them in that context. Think about what a fourth-dimensional being, how they would interpret our, you know, how they would interpret us. Would it be similarly to us looking at a comic and looking at a world through two dimensions? Do, do fourth dimensional beings look at us that same way? And if so, do we sort of just time, you know, can they look forward and backwards on our time like we can on a comic reality? How real is that? How real is co our comics or our two dimensions to us? Um, starts to really you really start to embrace this idea that we might be actually looking at real events as, as you read through this book, especially knowing that others might be looking at our stories much the same way. It's kind of very never ending story esque, but has that same idea of, of what are we looking at? What is a, what is, what is a story told in two dimensions? It's, it's a sliver of a real potential real reality that we can go backwards and forwards through and, and look at it that way. So just thinking about that as you read the book, just on a, on a general sense was really fun, but then the, the story engineers a lot of moments in where you kind of wonder if, if, if this is all real, some of these, some of these, di some of this dialogue and some of these narr you know, um, omnipresent narrator passages are talking directly to you as a reader. So it's almost like the two dimensional world talking back to you, telling you what to do or guiding you along in a more intentional way than you otherwise would be. You start to think about all of comics in this context. I, I don't know if you got that uh, during your quick read, today but that well I, really I think the, um what is it called uh, uh the ultra ultra comics number that issue ultra comics number one i mean specifically is like yeah. you know has a character sitting at a desk facing the camera basically and saying mm -hmm. you like you know you're gonna turn the page or whatever and yeah there's definitely a there's always a weird experience with that i remember tom robbins wrote a book that's all in second person and it's it's very strange even I mean the whole thing opens though with omnipresent dialogue yeah. talking and you realize it's talking to you and right. then um you know they kind of, they already they right away set up this idea that you're being manipulated through this book or through these stories um the ultra comics which were just well just just about there um yeah. that definitely <laughs> does it but even like the the way the story ends and the way these these uh, independent universes, like the uh, the rabbit superhero character, for example, he Captain meets Carrot. Captain <laughs> Carrot, thank you. Sorry, he he sees uh, Black Superman. I'll, just, I'll call him that so we know who we're talking about. Um, wow. Well, uh, he is black. <laughs> He's, he can't call him African American. He's not from Africa. He's Pre not. President Superman. <laughs> President Superman. All right. Actually, I think there are two Black Supermans. Oh, you're right. Yeah. All right. Aren't so there? President. Because the yeah yeah. President um, Superman. He meets Captain Carrot. Meets him though, and you know, and immediately comments on the fact that he used to read that Superman's yeah. comics, or I think the Flash did that. Uh, Captain Carrot talked about the Superman archetype and how there's a lot of different ones, and he looked, you know, like the most official one. Um, it was the it was the Flash. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, Red Racer from Earth 36 who talked about reading about President Superman stories. He actually hands him a copy of Action Comics where his own life was represented um, yeah. in it physically. So we, it introduces this idea that all these comics could be actual sort of manifestations of these other realities. And then we, as the super reader are experiencing all of this in real time too. And you almost kind of think of a, a fractal 
of somebody above us in a different dimension reading about me, reading about these things. And just, you kind of almost think about like, well, shoot, in my day-to-day, how much of my day-to-day is in a comic book somewhere in some <laughs> other reality, you know, or at, is, is being as a story for somebody in a, in a higher level of dimension than what we're living in. Very, it gets very meta very quickly. Uh, yeah, for sure. Almost psychedelic in some ways. You know, you kind of start to ponder this as you're reading it. So you're you're taking in the story, but you just start your mind kind of drifts off, thinking about like, ooh, who's reading, who's reading who, which of these things are real, who's for us to say. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of big thinking, Todd. Yeah, I, I I'm glad you used that word psychedelic because that that was the thing that came up in my reading of it, like over and over. And I think because of that structure where it is, yes, it is one big thematic work, but. Be- um, because it's split into these separate issues that are all essentially one shots in a different world. Um, mm-hmm. There's just this jarring like change of pace when you flip from one issue to another, you know? Yeah. And so that does give you this just, and, and, you know, the, the colors change and the, the style of art changes and everything changes. And so it's, when you're seeing it all in one big volume, it is very like psychedelic, you know, it's like yeah. all the lights just change all of a sudden. So, yep. Yep. um, and especially because of the way I read it, where I was skipping around to those issues you told me to read. So I'm like swiping up and just like, as I'm on the multi-page view in the digital thing, I'm just letting it like run with all these colors. And I was, you know, uh, going, okay. Yeah. <laughs> crazy looking. Well, let's uh, talk about the the giant elephant in the room, which is yeah. the ultra comics issue. Yeah. And I hinted at this and I kind of briefly mentioned it in our last episode, but Honest to God, this is sort of the linchpin of the entire thing, both in terms of the story, but also if you really want to find ground zero of the most, I think, daring sort of uh, avant-garde portion of this whole thing, it's this ultra comics issue. And it kind of comes towards the end if you're reading the the, the, uh, collected uh, volume. It's kind of towards the end, and there are very good reasons for that. But it is... In the context of the actual story, this there's this haunted uh, comics issue called Ultra Comics, and you you see people, you know, other characters thumbing through it. You see it pop up in different issues, and um, there's sort of a uh, an uneasiness to it. It's treated as odd or or even deliberately dangerous. And yeah, I, they say the word cursed. Like com- cursed. Uh, uh, characters actually say that. Like we've heard this is cursed. Yeah, and and like for example, in one of the one of the one shots or one of the issues, the Just, uh, which is about the children of the main Justice League that we know uh, in the future, they they sort of exist in this world where Superman created very effective robot clones of himself, and there is no reason for any of these superheroes to exist anymore. So they're very <laughs> bored and very maladjusted. But in that series, the, the Ultra Comics issue pops up. Lex Luthor's daughter, Alexis Luthor's reading it. Um, it actually causes one of the characters, Megamorpho, to commit suicide. It's and and sort of uh, there's only I think Damien is the only character who seems concerned about this. Um, he yeah. goes back to, because uh, Alexis was reading it too, and so he immediately goes, "Oh my god, this!" And you you're left to kind of wonder if it didn't cause Alexis to do what she did in that issue, which is take over, basically take over the Superman robot army, and and they sort of leave it on a massive cliffhanger. Um, so it, in that in that issue, it really does cause actual damage. Actual evil is is done through that issue. In another one, um, the Doctor Fate one, the Doctor Fate story, it's uh, sort of an artifact in Doctor Fate's library, and one of the characters picks it up, and Doctor Fate goes, "No, you can't. You're, it's cursed." And 
led to believe that it actually curses one of those characters. So it sort of has this reputation that builds throughout the, the, the main narrative of the, of the multiversity, but then you actually get to read it yourself. It pops up. And I can't even imagine in the original release of these books, if that, if people knew that was coming. So imagine, you know, you're, you're going to your comic shop every week, you're reading, you know, you're, you're going through this, you're, you're, into the multiversity and then you go and all of a sudden this issue appears on the stands and you're used to it because you see the cover you you've heard other characters talk about it so now you yourself as a reader get to read it and it's very i mean what did you make of it Todd? because it's very it's very interesting it's very much meant to be part of the story but as its own thing is almost even more interesting more i think revolutionary I, i there's a part of me that i uh as I thought of it as like physical issues, the mind fuck that would have occurred if you had just picked that one up. Right. Um, and like I said, this was, this was a very difficult book to get into when it was released uh, as separate issues because you didn't really have a map of where to go. And I know I, I picked up that one. That's like the society of whatever. It's not super villains. Is it? This is no, the kind of retro one. Yeah. I, I remember picking that one up with no, you know, having not having read multiversity number one and not knowing what was going on. So I can't imagine if I, had, if I had picked up ultra comics, number one, it, it would not have make made any sense because on, on, it does not for me stand up as a comic on its own, mm-hmm. but it's just like fascinating that they made a full comic of the thing that is being taught. Like they made the MacGuffin. I guess it's, yeah. I don't know if it's technically a MacGuffin, but that's what they made. And then they made an artifact of it and you could, you could collect that. And it's like, it's like your key to understanding it. It's your skeleton key that opens up the whole game. You know, It does, but it's also creepy as hell, right? It is one of the creepiest comics I've ever read. And not only because they've been referencing it in a menacing kind of way up until this point, but you just, just kind of read through it the way all the characters, when they're looking directly at you, yeah. you can't look away. Like they're, I mean, just seeing some of these eyes and like they're pointing at you, the interaction through the panel to the audience is very deliberate and very just sort of unsettling. Um, you know, at one point there's a, a cult of cannibal kids that, that come into play and you're like, what, what the hell is this? And just once in a while, um, you know, the, the panel that really sort of unnerved me was um, early on the character – it's called Ultra Comics, but there's a character inside it also called that. It becomes clear as to why. I, we'd almost have to recite the entire issue to explain most of it. Um, but there's a panel kind of early on after they create Ultra Comics, a character where he's, you know, he's um, helping a, a woman and her son in the alley. And then the next next panel, he's helping uh, some people consumed by some alien virus. And then he's mourning the loss of his... Uh, you know, counterpart or his his younger cousin, almost like the death of Supergirl. And then there's a panel where he is holding a, what you assume to be a villain against a bloody brick wall and his entire center has been ripped out and Ultra Comics is, is holding his throat and he's looking at you directly through the panel going, what are you looking at? And it's really unsettling. And it just kind of pass. And just as soon as you turn the page, it's like, forget, you know, just, you just kind of forget about that. They just gloss over that that ever happened and they move on. Stuff like that was creepy. The, the people who made him breaking the fourth wall and just talking to you randomly, um, these sort of, you know, regular business guys and kind of 1950s black and white 
you know, or, or very desaturated panels, just kind of looking at you, very matter of factly talking. Um, <laughs> not a hoax, <laughs> not a dream. Yeah, and then, and then panels where you know there's the the scene is going on while a another narrative, sort of a super narrative box, starts yelling at you to to stop turning the page, and it it creates this dissonance that's yeah. that's very unsettling. Um, just I you know, eventually we find out. That and again, spoilers, but obviously we've been spoiling it the whole time. Eventually, we find out that Ultra Comics, the character, becomes this uber uber um, uh, villain called the Empty Hand, or referred to as the Empty Hand. And you find out that that's who the Gentry made him. At the very end of the issue, they eventually get him. They start to corrupt him, and then he becomes the Empty Hand. They don't deliberately say that. You sort of have to piece that together yourself. It's pretty obvious. But that's what happens to him. So then that creates a lot of questions. Like, why did the gentry have to do that? Like, what did they need? What the hell? Is, who who created Ultra Comics? Like, who are these other people? They say it's Earth Prime. Is that our Earth? Or are we meant to think that this was, you know, created by just so many things, Todd? So many questions. Yeah, yeah. And no, I, I think that it, that what, because there's another, maybe it's in that issue or there's some other place in there where they distinguish Earth prime you know what i think it's the businessman that's at the desk like speaking to you about the creation of it and he's saying we're on earth prime where there are no superheroes and it's basically describing us like the earth we're on and we created this and so because we've created this this fantasy you know again i'm like only now tying it into the themes you've brought up it is that like that chaos magic ritual which has created this actual being in another universe. Yes. Or and something. so when you think that Grant, I mean, it's creepy enough just based on those things, but when you realize that Grant Morrison is invoking chaos magic a lot through this whole thing, this whole issue takes on a completely different meaning where he has set out the intentionality of all this, ha- you know, kind of this mind virus kind of happening. So then you're reading it both sort of from a, a kind of an amused fan, you know, fan standard comics point of view, but then you're also reading it from a, a very paranoid <laughs> familiar with grant morrison and his antics point of view and it gave me an unsettling feeling like i was reading the invisibles again that Mm. book i'm not going to talk about the invisibles on here for a while if ever because it was it did unsettle me quite a bit and i think this this issue while not so severe evoked a lot of that same just chilled kind of creeped out feeling that i got while reading the invisibles so if that was his intention, if that was the effect he was going for, well done. It also really ties together the, the you know, when, when other characters and other issues refer to this book as dangerous or cursed, it does sort of feel like that. You're like, wow, this is, I know Grant Morrison wrote this. I know this is, you know, part of an editorial calendar and they put it out <laughs> you know, per plan, but part of, there's a part in the back of your mind or small part of you just kind of goes, you know, what if this just, what if this just manifested somehow? Like, what, and it is, well, I, and granted, I haven't read all the issues in the entire collection, but of those I read, it is the most that like keeps like inverting its own reality, like back yes. on itself. Like there's a, I think it's in that issue where someone uh, shows ultra the comic that you are reading and it's like, no, I know you from this. And you're like, wait, what? Like, you know, you, if you, the reader, has interpreted this as just another artifact that's on Earth Prime and, all, you know, you're reading about this thing that all these other Earths are reading about, all of a sudden now that's not true because now there's yeah. a character in the issue that's <laughs> like deconstructing the whole premise of the issue. And you're like, what just happened? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. 
It is so, a mind fuck for sh- I mean, like this whole thing is is very much like that. And you know, some would argue because I've had this conversation with somebody else who's who's given it as much thought as I have. Some would argue that might be hokey, I guess, or it might be too grand for its own good. But mm. I think Grant Morrison, if you know what, if you know more about him, I, he wasn't trying to create some gigantic Stephen King like opus. I think he was really indulging a lot of what he was naturally into and used this whole thing as a giant opportunity to really just just go crazy on all of that stuff. So it's like, hey, I always wanted to write just a really mm. good pulpy um, Dr. Fate book. So here's that. But I also wanted to indulge my chaos magic sensibilities and create this weird meta narrative that might manifest in this way. So here's that. I mm. always wanted to do the Charlton Comics' as Watchmen character. It's, it really is. If you love Grant Morrison, this is really – the purest distillation of him, I think you could get in a mainstream context. I think uh, the purest Grant Morrison just in general is something like the invisibles, but for somebody who's interested in the, you know, the big two sensibility, this is that for, you know, this is that for, for those audience members. Yeah. I would, I would never recommend this to anyone that's not read <laughs> comics before. Oh God, no. Yeah. Can you imagine some read, read Morrison's Batman and Robin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then get to this. It's it's yeah. It's it's crazy. Um, that's really interesting to hear the that other feedback about this being kind of hokey because I don't think at any point did I while I had my own issues with I wouldn't even call them issues. Like I you know I don't love this book as much as you do, but yeah. I would I don't think there's any point where I was reading it where I thought that's hokey. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and it 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 definitely is. And I also didn't think of it as um, like you mentioned like. It's not like he's trying to write this. You said Stephen King. I would also associate like a, a George R. R. Martin. Like it's not like some yes. epic tale of fantasy or something. It really does feel like Grant Morrison was given the sandbox of DC characters and the you know freedom to create his own, and he just went nuts. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and just indulged everything. So uh, we can get more into any of this stuff. I feel like I could talk like eight hours about just all the all the. <laughs> all the art uh, based reasons. I love this. You know, I've mentioned in a previous episode or probably multiple previous episodes for me, the truest distillation of, of what art is, is somebody's point of view. Okay. And you think about the, the most interesting works of art. It is truly somebody's unique point of view on something. And that could be abstract. It could be literal, but you're still getting that distillation of that person's point, uncompromised point of view. I feel like this, whole collection this series this graphic novel is is truly that for grant morrison yeah there were editors and yeah dc probably gave him some guidelines but he really made the most of that of that condition uh so so just yeah. kind of some additional favorite aspects that i well, could I, can i talk on to something yeah, there of course. Yeah, I, yeah. I think what's really interesting about that because i don't know that i've read any morrison that does not happen in the dc universe um but I, I am inclined to think that that his genius really explodes when he is allowed to do something like this mm-hmm. and go nuts within an existing universe, you know, like of characters. I mean, we uh, think about his original what, – what brought him to the table or what brought him to the show was Arkham Asylum. That was – you thought you knew Batman. Holy crap. That just right. – that blew the doors wide open on what a Batman book could be. And that followed – the Dark Knight Returns, right? So that we'd already mm, seen yeah. this crazy, like, wow, this is Batman. And then he's like, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then he gave us a really 
interesting view of what comics could be, what Batman could be, what a superhero, yeah. like a mainstream. I mean, just that was the origin point, but this is, this is, and, and there's a lot of Grant Morrison sort of like any, any good art, you know, think about the most controversial bands or indie bands, or think about just anything in art that's got haters as well as people who love it. And then everybody's most, you know, most people are sort of in the middle kind of bouncing back and forth between I hate it and I love it. Uh, that's that to me is the best kind of stuff. Cause that just, we can be talking about this for, for years and years and years and still not agree. <laughs> yeah. It's uh yeah. I, I only tack that on um, uh, because I think it, it's, it's so much more interesting to me. I don't, man, it's so weird because we, on this show, we talk about a lot of creator owned titles yeah. and I don't know that I would be, as interested in Grant Moore, uh, Grant Morrison original work. I, I, well, that's, I don't know. I can't even see if that's true or not. I just see it as like, what a crazy thing that he was allowed to do this. You know, you should and, read the invisibles, at least that first one to get a oh, sense okay. of what he's like when it's all him. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. When it's not based on existing characters. Cause he, there's a lot of this, but he takes it even further. And it's just, like I said, it's, you get, you get a sense of, this guy is when he really wants to take you on a journey and really indulge himself where he goes. And it's not necessarily a place I want to go, but it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Well, and it's also that um, he knows so much about the DC universe. Like this yeah. is like a, such an ultimate like comics fan. But th so then when they just let him off the leash, it's, it's nuts. You know, yeah. it's not yeah. like, it's not like anything else you've read where they're, they're simply referencing or there's, you know, there's like passing references or like shout outs to old plots. It's like the way he, just the way he uses the history of the entire universe to inform his crazy universe is nuts. And I've, I've read uh, all-star Superman by him and then Batman and Robin. And I would recommend both of those. Like they're both just such, you know, nutty new takes on those characters. Um, mm -hmm. And anyway, sorry to divert. I, I, what were some of your other uh, favorite aspects of this? Oh, no worries. No, I like that extra, extra info on Morrison. Um, I should have mentioned this probably in the, in the uh, alternate universe discussion, but <laughs> he does this thing. And I, I noticed the first time around, but I have even more love for it now, especially given the end of the, the current end of the, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe and just uh, farewell to those characters. He does this thing where he parodies the Marvel characters or Marvel comics um, through the use of this, this publisher called Major Comics. And several times he introduces counterparts to the traditional Marvel characters in much the same way that Watchmen did that to the Charlton characters, uh, which he kind of keeps coming back to that. He had a lot of fun and I don't know if these are actual, if this is the first time these parodies or these counterparts have ever appeared in the DC Ooh. continuity. That would be a great question to get some clarity on because if not, I love it even more. If they right. have, <laughs> if they have appeared before and he's just you know, giving us more time with them. Great. But like, for example, they, there, instead of Dr. Doom, there is, um, uh, Lord Havoc who, when you see him looks a lot like Dr. Doom, but it's, it's it's its own thing. It's like they 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 stretch the trademark infringement just enough. You see, like a very clearly Iron Man kind of character, but I, I forget what he's I forget what his name is. Yeah, you I do see, too. 
you see what is essentially a Captain Marvel character, but she's slightly different, and a Hawkeye character is slightly different. So, so you see these these Marvel counterparts um, that are very specific. Right away, too, you're introduced to what is essentially a Thor counterpart uh, in this character called the yeah. Thunderer. Um, he, strangely, I don't know what race or ethnicity he's supposed to be. It seems like he's darker skin, but then he kind of speaks in sort of the same old English uh shakespearean that you hear in the in the first thor movie so it's it's kind of i don't know it's, it's really interesting to follow him uh because he's kind of like one part aquaman but nah but he's still it's weird for sure i he's thor one standing. of those that I, I thought was being introduced just to kill him off and then yeah. he ends up having this like larger role and it was like oh this is crazy yeah um, yeah, yeah. It, it was uh yeah and instead of like the the Fantastic Four, it's the Future Family, so it's Frank Future, but it's he's, it's clearly a guy who stretches a lot, and he's got a rock friend and a fire guy. It's just like the whole thing. <laughs> it's clearly homaging. You know, I wonder if yeah. they had had the rights if they would just have just actually said the Marvel universe and those characters. But at the same time, I'm glad, kind of glad they didn't because I yeah. love this creative workaround. It's just so much fun to see what these characters look like through his eyes if he had to, you know, if, if he wanted to represent them. It's way more fun. And you, you bring up the um, Captain Carrot, which is hilarious because I, I remember in the, you know, either my brother or I had purchased an issue of Captain Carrot back in like the eighties. Oh, so he's a real character from that was the real, but not in continuity. It was okay. like one of those that they, I guess they probably acquired it from Charlton or something and yeah. just kept publishing it on the side. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that he ever made an appearance in, you know, the infinite earths, but it was, it's a real thing. Like that was his thing was like super zany, like kind of Roger rabbit. Yeah. You know, where he gets flattened, like totally two dimensionally flattened by a villain and then just springs, springs back into back shape, up. you know, but he's the only one um, who can do that. Right. Like, right, not like because he, right. <laughs> it's like almost part of his superpower. Um, and, he gets uh, his head and, lobbed off at some point, and he's just like, "Oh my head, my body's over there, and I'm yeah. over here." And I was gonna say, yeah, like way more gory than the Captain Carrot ever got. They just uh -huh. like Grant Morrison obviously was like, you know, this would be fun. Let's behead him. Um, and the body's still fighting the battle, <laughs> trying, yeah. to, trying to eat a carrot, but the head is like far away. Um, but they also he also uh, you know there's like self parody in the DC universe where he makes fun of Little Gotham. Uh, Dustin Nguyen's art where he sort of represented the, the whole Bat family as like, they weren't children. They were still like their normal ages, but they were just drawn to look sort of shorter and squat and sort of like children. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a children. It was a book for children. Um, but those just appear like they're just normal, like little people uh, in Who in actually play a and then, yeah, and then, <laughs> and then have this pretty, pretty crazy like plot thing happen with them. They, um, yeah, they matter a lot to the man main story in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it, yeah, it's like all the universe is folding in on themselves. It is totally a thing that I, you know, like like we mentioned in our Crisis on Infinite Earths episode, it's very hard to revisit that book and put yourself in the headspace of whatever that was eighty five or yeah. or whatever. And and see it as like wow, this was such a huge idea. But to read it with modern sensibilities, and you know, we pointed out a lot of the uh, like uh, culturally, you know, um, <laughs> insensitive parts of it. But it's just also like it's it just it it just reads kind of hacky because it's an idea and nothing more. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but on this, on like to me, reading Multiversity, this book couldn't have existed without that book. Exactly. You know, and so this is in many ways like the the crisis book that you know, like uh, my generation needed to kind of like feel like, oh, it, now it's being handled with the proper amount of insanity. I'm not the, I'm not the multiversity event or multiversal event you wanted. I'm the one. <laughs> yeah. It's, it really is. This whole thing should just be titled Grant Morrison. I had my cake and I ate it too. Yes. Yeah. He got to indulge all his stuff and he got to retcon so much and basically make everything, all Elseworlds books, all everything part of continuity. Yeah. He, you know, he, he, uh, and you could read, I'm just looking at Wikipedia as we, as we sit here and chat, he had a hand in guiding the creation of the new 52. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and sort of had set forth some things that, that would be happening, wouldn't be happening. So this is a natural extension of final crisis of countdown of you going all the way back to, again, the kingdom with Mark Wade, where they invented hypertime, allowing a lot of these things to be possible. So it really is, it's one of these interesting experiments where he got to have all of this creative freedom with all of these what if stories and still have it live in, in the true, um, uh, the true canon of the primary universe, because all of these extended universes either are connected through the orary of worlds or they're reading about each other through comics. So anything he wanted to make any else worlds idea, uh, the Nazi Superman, like all of that stuff. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do an issue and it's going to count. I mean, what an amazing Mm. opportunity to do all that and indulge your, your inner chaos magician. And like just all of these things he got to do. And I just, I love that. And the more, the more I sort of ponder that and think through, the the opportunity he got and what he did with it, I just I love it even more. I uh, that's so interesting to hear you say, and I and I I know I keep uh, interpreting this through the prism of the original crisis, but um, I, I I do think that one. Well, I don't I don't know. I, I guess what what you have to do when you walk into either one of those books is like the original crisis was was written to solve a problem, which is yeah. so weird, but it was this problem of continuity where they had three different Supermans, you know, and they had a justice mm-hmm. society and a justice league, but they weren't even in the same time period and yeah. or on the same earth or blah, blah, blah. It was, so it was really confusing. Yeah. This is like, it's confusing, but it's allowed to be confusing because that multiverse is explained. It's not a meta problem for the writers. It's, it's like a playground for the writers, yeah. you know, like yeah. every, every world can be totally different. Like on this one, you can have these, you know, like all the, all these superheroes have different proportions and they look like children on this other world, but yeah. um, you know, and on uh, whatever it is, it can be, it can be that way. Um, but it still can't be read. I think I'm, this is what I'm getting to is it, you still can't pick this up as like, let me read an interesting superhero book. I feel like you almost need to come in with a lot of that baggage from DC, uh, you know, specifically and, and a, uh, not that you need to know things in order to understand this, but just to kind of know those things like, yeah, it used to be that they would just sort of spin off every group into its own world in order to mm-hmm. keep writing about it in a specific era. And, you know, and here it's, you, you know, everything we've talked about, you sort of have to come into this book with that. And that makes it difficult to recommend to anyone as 
any kind of like pure read, I guess. Like this is such a cool work of art to say, yes, if you love comic books, dig into this one. You know, I think you, I think you get there though. I think you, you do the work to understand the medium a little bit better. Mm. Part of this is self-serving because this is my journey to this book, but you, you do the work to get to this, through this medium to understand it, to have a higher level of appreciation for it. You understand some of the event books either through reading them or through just you know, googling doing yeah. the, the broad research you understand the artist and the mind of of the creator uh in grant morrison and even just his collaborators he has a i, I can't stress oh enough he God. has a it's ludicrous he has like literally <laughs> the greatest hits of comics uh, artists illustrators colorists pencilers i the fact alone that he got frank quietly is amazing but it just goes on and on and on and on and on so it's the mind of grant morrison as seen through some of the best in the business currently so you have this just amazing confluence of amazing direction and amazing craft in one thing it's like even just a, a general comics fan should appreciate it on that level did you in in the physical artifact that you have? Did you get that one issue that's called the guidebook? Yeah. So that, the, so you have the list of like all the artists, and, yeah, and, and the way they do it is by Earth. <laughs> yep. And this is my this is my uh, probably my other absolute favorite part of this is that square in the middle, much like the Ultra Comics issue, there is another issue which is this guidebook to the multiverse, which appears in in the story as a physical thing, but then you obviously get to read it too. And he, he makes good on the new 52. He justifies it being a thing. He details uh, all 52 earths. Now, granted, some of them are mystery or unknown worlds, which was kind of clever. He gives himself some room later on. Some things he actually invents for the first time, which I don't know if uh, DC Canon is taken advantage of, but he sort of puts it out there like, Hey, this earth exists. Here are the characters. Here's the, here's its deal. If anybody wants to, to take this and run with it. I think he, that was the, the intention behind some of these things. Um, you know, earth, for example, I'm just sort of thumbing through this at random earth 37 is a world of lawless heroes and cynical, cynical yeah. champions. It's kind of a, um, kind of a steampunk sort of, uh, sort of earth. And maybe Superman isn't what you think he is, but, uh, Robin is, is different. I mean, there's another one where it's literally a sort of, uh, black exploitation Superman, um, and just some very crazy, highly influenced by the seventies aesthetic kind of drawing characters. It just goes on and on and on and on. And these are all very interesting. I would, I would read titles in all of these and I am kind of <laughs> the last guy to be a new, you know, a, a big two mainstream, um, uh, fan, but I would, I would love all these. So he, he basically says, Hey, yeah, the new 52 was worth it. Here's all the, the ways we can take it. And this whole idea of, of collapsing universes or expanding them, let's just do everything, have all of it exist and have all of it strangely be in canon. Um, I would imagine if he, if he ever comes back to this, it'd be cool to see him include like the, the white knight universe as another earth. That's maybe one of these yeah, mystery yeah. earths. He could kind of backfill in some of this stuff and make all of this exist in the same multiversal continuity, but, on their own terms can still be Elseworlds books can still be one shots or one-offs. It's just so cool to think about all of this being valid, right? Just all of this, you know, we've, we have talked on the show many times about loving um, the Elseworlds stuff. I forget what is Marvel's version of that called. What if, what ifs the, what ifs in the Elseworlds stuff being 
almost more interesting than the mainstream continuity. Well, here Grant Morrison says, yes, and it can all be it can all be coexisting. It can all be valid. You don't have to pick one or the other. It's all part of it. I just I love that. I love that so much. Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm glad you went back to this. This is a as you mentioned at the top, this is a great book to revisit. It is so like huge. I mean, <laughs> what you mentioned, it's something like seven or eight issues, but the comicsology file is 450 pages <laughs> yeah. so like a normal yeah. eight issue run would be like what is it like 150 or something when you well yeah. I, I guess that's no it would be more than that but like five issues is usually around like 150 pages or something yeah so this yeah this is enormous and um it, it definitely not a one sitting book not a casual read nothing like that so i would still stick with where we started at the top which is I think if you're really interested in exploring this, you probably need the print version yep. and then go back to the digital version to, to feel that guided view. Uh, it is available to borrow on comiXology right now. So if you're an unlimited member, like, you know, check it please, out. Please, please. I mean, and, and that is actually where I started with this. I oh, grabbed, really? Interesting. yeah, I had grabbed two or three. It's funny. You said that the individual issues on comiXology are useless because you're right, but that's actually where I started because when it was, it was still coming out as um, well, as I kind of got into it. So I hadn't collected it, but you you absolutely should treat this as one full piece. I, I almost think we should we should tell people the issues you told me to read in order to get the overview because I think that's yeah. really helpful. And yeah. yeah, let's why hide the secret map to this? Like, yeah, what I what, think, what do you recommend? I recommend that you start from the beginning and just read straight through. Honestly, but if you're, if you're going to want to, if you want to kind of pick it, you know, pick and and choose at it, I definitely think you should do the multiversity issue one and the multiversity issue two, which bookend this whole thing. I think you should do, um, honestly do Pax Americana because that is, I did not read that one and I wish I had as its own standalone. Like if that had just come out unconnected to this as just a cool little standalone one shot, it would still be badass. It's it's a really freaking well done piece. Um, if you want to kind of get a sense of the overarching storyline, though, Multiversity one and two, I would do the Just, uh, and I would do Ultra Comics. Yeah. Those four kind of provide you a nice taste of what it is. But then you yeah. might as well just finish it up and get the other three too. Right. Because it's <laughs> at that point, then you're missing Masterman, which is an amazing right. take on what if. Uh, Kal-El had landed in Nazi Germany instead of America. Um, like I mentioned, Pax Americana. Um, the Society of Superheroes, which is the Dr. Fate kind of pulp yeah. throwback, really freaking good. Uh, stylistically really interesting. The Marvel Shazam one is really, really good. Um, am I missing any? Oh, the the Guide to the Multiverse is yeah. it's both a guide, but also has some story components in it too. Gives you more sen- uh, a bigger sense of the of what's going on at the, at the top level. Well, what I really like about your map to it of doing multiversity one and two. Yeah. Um, but what I would recommend is do number one, then do the just, then do ultra comics, then do multiversity number yes. two. Be- and so that's basically the order in which they appear in the book, but go in that order because number one will introduce the central, you know, idea and problems. And then, the just does a really cool like look at like how the heroes of one world are viewing 
the events of another world through the comic books. Mm -hmm. And so you start to pick up on like that, why ultra comics matters. Then you read ultra comics and you're like, Oh, this is crazy. And then multiversity number two will tie it all together. I am going to go back and read those issues that I have not read because um, like I mentioned, the society of superheroes was one that I picked up as a one shot and didn't know what to do with it. Uh, And uh, I'm so interested in Pax Americana and master men and the Marvel world one, which I can't the, like the captain Marvel heroes, the Shazam heroes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I that probably does it all. That's probably like all the ones I want. <laughs> That's all of them. Right. Well, I'll, I'll confess. So I own this, <laughs> this, when we talk about the comics worth having on your shelf, Holy crap. This is probably this, this occupies a rare space in my, in my library in that I own it digitally as like a few scattershot single issues. I own it digitally as the collected deluxe edition I own it physically as the <laughs> hardcover deluxe edition, which absolutely I recommend getting. And just because I loved having the meta artifact of these individual issues, I own the seven one shots, oh, including the Ultra Comics, yeah. as as individual issues too. Well, I ended up going cool. back and grabbing those. I do not own Multiversity one and two as uh, single issues because those are sort of the that I didn't feel as necessary because they don't they don't kind of exist in the physical world in the same way that these other issues do inside. I, I, I can't even talk about this without it being just convoluted. Anywho, yeah, it's totally convoluted. Anyway, so. I mean, because I, I, I was going to just get the ultra comics single issue just to have, cause that's, I think as a collector, knowing what that represents, it's kind of fun to, to own it too. And yeah. then I just ended up going, well, hell I'll just get the other six. So I'll just have the seven, main issues so i'm a i am kind of a, a completist when it comes to this this series i'm i'm in the process of doing the same thing for watchmen by the way hmm. so well that i mean that's really cool to know and uh <laughs> you know it's the it's that same idea we harp on uh, all the time on the show which is like if it's you know you look at this as like art that's worth having on your shelf then you know you want it on your shelf like in whatever yeah. format you can and and it is, it is. So I, I had forgotten that you have the individual issues, but I, I'm pretty sure you've told me that before, possibly on our last episode about this. And uh, uh, no, it wasn't. It, I did, that was not oh, the case then. This is since. Gotcha. Is since oh, cool. Yeah. No, I'm glad you did that. That's a that's a neat thing to do. That is very. That's the. You've taken it to the Griffin and Sabine level of like. Yes, I have. Now I've got. Now I can pretend I am receiving this message through this comic. Well, <laughs> pretend or just sort of convince yourself of it, because given. <laughs> Given how, uh, given how how very meta, how very how very layered and psychedelic and, and fractal this thing is, it's only I think it's only uh, ne- it's necessary that I own these physically. It's it really does truly make me a act an actor in the story, right? It's it's oh, you're sort of fulfilling yeah. what it is. I think if, if you're really a fan of this, you kind of have to. So here I am. It just I mean even think about. You know, they kind of treat ultra comics like the, the videotape in the movie The Ring, where Ooh, it just sort of it yeah. works its magic and, and kind of and I almost kind of feel like I am I am uh, Naomi Watts at the end by making copies and sending them off. Like I'm purchasing the actual ultra comics single issue myself. So now it's you know, it, if you believe the idea virus part of it, it, it has worked its magic on me. Very cool. Anyway. Ah, uh, yeah. So where can people go if they want to listen to 
uh, episode number 57 of this podcast. Yeah. Go back into our archive. You can do that by subscribing to Panelism wherever you find podcasts. Just search for that, Panelism. You can also find old archival episodes at panelism.inc, www.panelism.inc, which is coincidentally also our Instagram handle, panelism.inc, where we talk about all this stuff and showcase really cool uh books and art and other stuff and it's kind of our primary way of of uh putting stuff out there so check out all those things if you're a completist uh, <laughs> grab them all <laughs> and uh tell your friends subscribe and share and leave comments if you liked it or hated it we always value listener feedback yeah on this episode i mean yeah we always do i, I this like you said this is a good book club book so i would really be interested in other people's opinions on it Hundred percent. I'm probably going to recommend it uh, to my local comic shop, which um, I know is always looking for for great oh, new man. picks. So this would be a really good one to to bring up to the book club, right? Yep. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, until next time, I will see you then, or I will see you at another time.